Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And look, it was another good week for uh, my Longhorns. They won again. I was happy about that. Uh, you know, making it look difficult for sure. Uh, like I thought against Iowa State, but um, they won another big game this week. I was garbage against the spread uh, in my picks in my article. My worst week, first week under 500, all that good stuff. But Nick, it was better for you. So let's start with that. Let's get some positivity up in here <laughs> and uh, t- tell us uh, how the numbers were this week. Well, you know, it can't be all positive, right? I mean, I, I well, of definitely do have a little bit of a, an Still Eeyore there. complex sometimes, yeah. I think. Uh, but yeah, third straight <laughs> week, pretty, you know, pretty consistent, pretty solid against the spread. All three models actually had a really good week. Our uh, team strength, our, our sort of, you know, standard original model uh, actually had the, the lowest performing week of the three, but um Still, you know, was uh, pretty happy with that. However, this time last week, we were talking about how we're on basically every over. Uh, that did not work out. Um, there there were certainly was something a little wonky on, on you know, how that sort of came together. Uh, and we got punished for it. It was maybe the worst week uh, we've ever had, maybe in anything, but certainly for totals. Um, so overall... Oddly enough, now all four things that I track have the exact same winning percentage. All right. Uh, we've just got there in very, very different, different ways, ways because, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the against the spread numbers started pretty rough. You know, three of the first four weeks were just brutal. They've been good since, but totals started off really you know, pretty good. We're, we're starting to, you know, taper off a little bit. Yeah. So, so the totals, you know, started to, to trend in the wrong direction, just little by little, uh, but still, you know, had a, a overall solid, you know, first six weeks and then week seven just completely wiped everything out. So uh, it was, it was good overall. I feel pretty confident in how the uh, against the spread is looking this week's totals are certainly much more, uh, you know, much, much better distributed. It's not all on one side, but I do have a little bit of a concern on our official projections. Our team strength projections are really heavily <laughs> leaning in, in one direction. Don't feel great about that, but uh, we'll see how it works out. Maybe we'll get lucky. Um, but I, as I've mentioned before, the, the stats only model, what I, what I, Call the prism model. Um, I think I right now have the most confidence in that. And heading into this week, uh, that's the one I think I'm. I'm certainly going to track them all, and and we have our official, you know, uh, projections. We'll we'll certainly have to go by those. But I'm going to be paying a little closer attention to that prism model because I'm I'm starting to like what I see more and more each week out of it. That's awesome. I mean, uh, good stuff there. Some positivity bringing to this week. Uh, not if you're an Alabama fan. Bama got dropped. Down they go to Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee beat them 52-49. to 49 in, I mean, it's probably the best game of the year so far. Xavier, what do you think? Was that the best game of the season? I mean, I, a lot of people are saying it's best game just because Alabama lost. But 
Um, there have been, I mean, the App State game was insane. Yeah. Uh, the one where they won on the the loss on the Hail Mary, that was crazy. But there's there's been a bunch of good ones. College football never fails, but no. it's always good to see two top five teams or two top ten teams uh, go down to the wire like this. It was fun. It was great. No, it was it was an amazing game. I was hoping both teams would lose, um, and to an extent, both teams did. Both, the, 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 what what I, I finally was able to walk away from a week understanding college football a little bit better. And what I got from this week is nobody likes to play defense. Defense is optional. Defense is non-existent if you're a top 10 team in college football right now. Um, out of the top 10 teams right now this week, um, I think I can genuinely say three have a defense that I think will translate to the college football playoff, and that's Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia, maybe. Um, I look at Tennessee and I go, you let them walk up and down the field on UTCU, still can't stop anybody. Uh, UCLA couldn't stop a cold in the summer. Like I just I, I really don't understand that right now defense – how poorly defenses look like in the Alabama game. Since we're on that topic, Hey Saban, how about you put a safety over the top? Ever, ever thought about that concept? <laughs> you know, cover two was a thing, right? Like just simple things, you know, Jalen Hyatt has a hundred yards, you know, 150 yards in the first half or a hundred some yards in the first half. How about we slow him down? You know, maybe, maybe we double them. Maybe we bracket covered. Maybe we cloud covered. Maybe we do something different, you know, and what, what made me so upset about Saban is he's supposed to be a DB guru. Like that's his position group. Like Saban loves DBs, and what was he doing? Did he just continue to believe, have blind faith that we're just going to figure it out at some point when he's running by everybody? You know, on the flip side of that, I guess Tennessee just forgot that Bryce Young had the ability to run out the pocket because they were like, hey, if we just rush up front and try to get interior pressure, we'll, we'll be able to get home. And time and time again, he scampered outside the pocket, found open receiver. So at this point, I'm just waiting for defense to become a thing in college football again, especially at the top. Um, outside of Michigan, Michigan played an excellent game against Penn State defensively. Uh, they looked like the better team, especially on the defensive side of the football. Um, and I was so close to texting you guys. I'm so glad I didn't. When um, when J.J. McCarthy threw the pick in that first quarter, I was like, he's made the mistake that I was talking about he would make in last episode. And then <laughs> Sean Clifford went off and made like several other Yeah, ones I was going to say, you can't you can't text that early when Sean Clifford Yeah, the side, I, I didn't feel know. confident in the text message. Like, I didn't feel confident. Oh, speaking of non-defense. Ole Miss goes to a shootout with Auburn. Yeah. I just, at this point, I feel like defense is uh, is something that only exists in my head when I talk about these games back and forth. And I told somebody before the day started, I said, pick the over in every single game. Like every top, every nope, top. That didn't work. That. No. I was like, don't that didn't that. work. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, I was wrong about that. But still, defense isn't being played <laughs> out here in these, on these fields at all whatsoever. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird trend, you know, uh, obviously, I mean, we, we saw the trickle down earlier, you know, uh, in the two thousands when everyone was saying all oh, the pack 12 and the big 12 never play any defense, you know, and then it was, well, this, the sun belts, the fun belt, cause everybody scores and we love maction because we know there's going to be no defense and a lot of scoring and it's trickled its way into the sec. What's next is Iowa going to quit playing defense. What do they have if they don't play defense, you know? Um, it, it is something that's been happening more often. If more I was stop playing defense, that would be terrifying. I know. Uh, like, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> forty minutes well be record at that point. and still you lose by thirty. That'd be awful. Yeah. Um, but we had some other stuff happen. Obviously, the Utah game was huge. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that that Utah comeback over USC and sort of the 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 whole nature of that game. You know, it happened immediately after. Uh, Tennessee knocked off Alabama, but that would be, I think, in the discussion for best game of the of the year so far. 
Yeah. Um, but it, you know, TCU did a similar thing. I mean, it, it, we, we were treated to just a really, really incredible day with the biggest games. And, uh, you know, it's interesting what, what Xavier was saying. And, and there's definitely, you know, you'd look at just those three biggest games, 52, 49, 43, 42, 43, 40. Uh, there were certainly some other high scoring games as well, but I think they were, uh, kind of clustered and certainly, you know, I, I was, uh, exaggerating a little bit. We weren't on every over. We were way too, you know, on one side or the other, I would rather a little more balance. And some of the unders that we had just, you know, didn't work out that contributed to the, the just really bad numbers. Uh, but it, it does seem most concentrated in the top 25 last week. And, and certainly there were some other, you know, uh, sort of low scoring slugfest. I mean, Syracuse uh, and NC State, of course, NC State being shorthanded, Kentucky and Mississippi State, both pretty decent defenses. That one was a little more lower scoring. You know, Texas and, and Iowa State, Iowa State certainly gave them some trouble. Illinois and Minnesota, two, two uh, you know, slow moving offenses and, and top defenses. Uh, but I mean, yeah, the, the, at least at the very top, like, like Xavier was mentioning. Uh, a lot of high scoring, you know, high intensity games. And fortunately, uh, uh, quite a few of them uh, were just incredible to watch. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a good weekend. Not a good weekend for me outside of Texas winning. But, uh, you know, it, it was a good weekend. It was fun. Um, no Devin Leary. NC State didn't stand a chance. Uh, Will Levis got and there's another there's a game I pick wrong. Because I, you know, Will Levis was 50-50. I wasn't sure if he was going to go, so I picked Mississippi State. Um, James Madison was upset. Another game that I picked was James Madison over Georgia Southern. Like that, that one pissed me off. Just Kyle Van Tree's throwing like 11 picks this year, and uh, Centennial had one, and Centennial threw two in this game. It's just, it was a weird week. So uh, good yeah, week, fun week, close game. Yeah, yeah. Uh good fun fun week. Lots of close games. Uh didn't turn out like I expected, but I don't care because Texas won. So uh can we put this week to bed? I'm I was mad at it. So um <laughs> I thought uh, it was great. We can talk yeah, about it all that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nigga, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's keep let's keep talking about this one. This one yeah, because I feel I, I have sort of a I don't have a great feeling about this week. I'll just yeah. say uh, we're we're in Already? a similar spot uh, where we were on almost every over. Well, we are on almost every underdog this week. Which, oh, would, if we, if it, you know, if last week plays out, I think underdogs covered like thirty-five uh, times last week or something. Uh, maybe even more. Maybe it was like thirty-eight, sixteen or something. Uh, then we'd be in good shape but I don't think that's going to happen in back-to-back weeks. So I'm not, not feeling great. Unfortunately, two weeks in a row, we're on kind of some wonky results getting spit out, uh, at least when it, when it goes against the spread. But we are, and we talked about this a lot last year, about this point, it got to where our projections and the odds makers, the difference between the two, our projected edge, uh, just got smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, and so sometimes you might be, just a few percentage points, you know, one way or the other on the wrong side. And I think that's kind of what happened to us this week. We have our, our tightest uh, projected edge 
by far of, of the season so far. And we're on the you know wrong side of things by like 0 0 0.02, 0.23, <laughs> 0.1, uh, 0.61. So it's just, I mean, there are there are a few that if you know we projected an injury one way or the other. You know, last week I talked about how you could kind of make the right decision and be on the wrong side of things. Well, right. for Alabama versus Tennessee, had I kind of hedged a little bit and said, okay, you know, maybe Bryce Young won't play, uh, we would have been on Tennessee and it would have worked out. But made the right decision, ended up being on the play. Alabama side yeah. of things, and it ended up not working out. So I feel like, unfortunately, there's a little bit of luck. Sometimes it works in your favor, sometimes it doesn't. Hopefully this week we don't get bit too much, but there are, unfortunately, because there's still a lot of injuries to deal with, um, a lot of those decisions that, that you know, maybe we do the right thing and it ends up hurting us. Maybe we do the wrong thing and it uh, ends up working out. We'll just have to see. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I mean, such is the beauty of the game, right? Um, it, where uh, one bounce one way can uh, change the whole course of a whole season. So, um, that is, that is just the way it is. That's the way it always will be, but let's get in and talk about and once again, two weeks in a row. I'm saying this, I cannot believe we're on week eight already. It just feels crazy to me that, uh, we're running through the season pretty quick, but, uh, let's start out with, uh, Syracuse at Clemson. Uh, Clemson is a 13 and a half point favorite. We've got a little bit under that at 12. Um, our projected total is in the sixties, mid sixties. Um, no, no total yet so far in this game that, that I see, but, uh, Nick, this is going to be a good one. Both these teams, uh, obviously ranked, uh, Syracuse has been looking so much better than anybody gave them credit for, but you know, Clemson is kind of Clemson feels like a boring team up at the very top of the rankings. You know, uh, they're number five, Syracuse, number 14. They just keep getting the job done though. You know, they may make it close, but they're they're in there. So what do you think about uh, the Tigers hosting the Orangemen here? So I, I I don't have personally a great uh, read in on this game. Um, I've been impressed at times with Clemson. Uh, I I do think that DJ Uyangale you know, though he's not quite living up to the hype he had coming out of high school or those, you know, brief appearances we saw, uh, including a you know start or two when he was a true freshman. Um, we haven't quite seen that level of play, but he, I do believe, is you know far more consistent, has been improved, has not been doing things to hurt Clemson uh, this year. And so that's added a little bit of stability. Will Shipley had a huge game last week. Um, as somebody that you know really is is uh, somebody you can lean on if you're Clemson. Um, the offensive line's playing pretty well. Number twelve in, in uh, offensive line performance. Uh, defensively, you know they are are not the elite of the elite, but they are a top ten defense. Um, last week we talked about that that the defensive line is finally you know, back and, and fully healthy for the most part. I know there were a couple of uh, bumps and bruises coming out of the last game, but they're playing like a top 15 defensive line when on paper they probably should be uh, the number one unit 
in the country, and and hopefully they'll continue to you know work toward that as they uh, continue to get healthier. The secondary has been a concern uh, where they have shown some you know deficiencies defensively. It's been against the past. They've had a lot of injuries uh, in the secondary. They had some inexperience certainly coming in, and and lack of depth I think is has really hurt against Syracuse, who you know, can, can make some big plays in the passing game. Uh, we have seen kind of to, to the surprise of many, uh, Aranda Gadsden, the second has been big time playmaker uh, in that Syracuse offense, but um, they are, you know, Garrett Schrader, not, not the type of passer that uh, is going to, you know, really test you down the field consistently. Um, they lean on Sean Tucker, you know, pretty heavily. Schrader himself can run. Uh, they they are creative. The Robert and I hire, I think, is, has been a big, big boost to Syracuse. Um, they're playing, you know, top 25-ish level offense in our team performance numbers. Uh, defensively, they are, I think, far outperforming my expectations. The defensive line, I mean, you talk about um, one of the, the biggest you know, it's not necessarily a, a, a matchup. I mean, the you know Syracuse defensive line doesn't go against the Clemson defensive line, but Clemson on paper number one, no question, defensive line in our uh, position strength numbers or you know talent based numbers. Syracuse is on the complete opposite end. Uh, came into the season just a, a total lack of experience up front. Not a, a you know really highly recruited group. They actually still rank 129th in our position strength numbers. Uh, so you know third from the very very bottom in at the FBS level. But they're playing like a you know middle of the pack uh, defensive line, 76th in D line performance. Uh, still is is probably the you know worst performing uh, group on the roster at this point. But not the just huge huge you know, uh, major, major issue that it kind of looked like they were going to be uh, on paper coming in. And and that's helped Syracuse be competitive. I mean, the offense has got enough playmakers. They, they do some things that uh, make it difficult on their opponents. Um, and they've been just good enough to win. They're not necessarily, you know, the type of team that it, it has been dominant. I don't think in, in any stretch, Um some of their, you know, uh, EPA margin or, or PPA is what we use from uh, collegefootballdata.com. They are top five in that. You know, they're right around the top 10, top 15 in net success rate, net yards per pass attempt, uh, net points per drive. But they're, you know, just just solid, very good. And Clemson, you know, is, is kind of in that uh, spot where they are kind of expected to compete for a playoff spot are in a position where they can prove to be one of those dominant national championship contending type teams. And, you know, so far Syracuse is obviously undefeated, been good enough to win, has been a top 25 team, moved into the top 25 in our power rankings, which is a pretty big jump from where they were in the preseason. Uh, But they are not, you know, really on the same level. I don't think with Clemson, as far as actually able to go in and, and, go on the road and, and pull off this upset. I mean, they're almost a two-touchdown uh, underdog, as you mentioned. 
We do have Clemson as a double-digit favorite, though do have Syracuse to cover. Uh, but talent edge-wise, we would have Syracuse covering in our talent-only model. That's closer to 17. And, and then the stats-only model uh, is about you know 12 and a half, but, but pretty close. Not a, not a huge edge one way or the other um, against what the odds makers have. Uh, we do have a projected final score of 32 to 20, so a little bit under. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that um, I think that seems reasonable. I think this is a game that, that Clemson should win, should take care of business at home, probably should win by more than a touchdown. But I could, you know, certainly see some scenarios where Syracuse, kind of how it has all year, uh, does just enough to you know stay close, maybe give themselves a chance, but I, I think Syracuse's uh, or excuse me, Clemson's just raw talent probably is too much for them to to actually be able to get it done and and pull off a huge upset on the road. Javier, do you have a lean one way or the other uh, in this game? Are you liking Clemson uh, I, to beat Syracuse? What do you think? I love what Syracuse has done so far this season. Um, I think they've been excellent. I think they have obviously taken a lot of people by storm, but they've been a really great team. The only problem is I think they're running into a team that exactly is, is better than them than what they do. This game might finish in about two hours. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> it is, it is I mean, both teams love to run the football. Their bread and butter is putting the ball in their running back's hands or in the case of DJ Uyunglele, right, being a running quarterback. Um, but I think more importantly, Clemson's defensive line is 100% healthy or almost 100% healthy at this point. Um, and what uh, Syracuse does best is hand the ball to Sean Tucker and allow him to be the animal that he's been all year. So I just don't think that Syracuse is just going to be able to come in there and impose their will, which is what they've done to a lot of teams this year. Physically, they just beat up NC State last week. I mean, they were just able to handle them up front on both sides of the football. They got to the quarterback seemingly at will. And then um, on the other end, Sean Tucker was Sean Tucker. Obviously, Gadsden on the outside is an excellent receiver. But when they're really rolling is when Sean Tucker is getting, you know, six yards to carry, five yards to carry. And then they're allowed, you know, a little bit more time in the pocket for him to survey and find Gadsden, who's running a lot more deeper routes and giving him a lot more touches, you know, past seven to eight yards, which, uh, you know, takes time to develop. That's not going to happen this week. And, and Clemson's going to make sure that they get after that run attack and make them a one-dimensional ball club. And if they do that, it's going to be a long evening for Syracuse. It's going to be a long game because Syracuse really, in my opinion, hasn't been challenged in that way. I think NC State was able to do it for a second, but I think a, a healthy NC State team would have maybe given them more of a challenge because of the fact that their offense wouldn't have been so, you know, uh, so poor on, on that side of the football. Syracuse is really going to need to run the football effectively to win this game, both from the quarterback perspective and from the running back perspective. Garrett Schrader cannot do what he did last week and throw two interceptions either, uh, because that is something that he did last week that I think, you know, in a game against Clemson, you almost have to be perfect, um, especially on the road. Um, and I think the one thing I will say about Clemson and the one thing that I think Syracuse could end up finding themselves doing, Clemson has been letting the teams hang around a little bit longer than they probably should. They haven't been putting their foot on them and, and you know, ending the game. Last week, uh, they kind of let Florida State come around in the fourth quarter and make it more of a ball game than it probably should have been. Um, I think that Clemson has done that multiple times this year where I feel like they should have just ended the game. Uh, even against Wake Forest, that game going to overtime, I feel like they let them hang around a little bit too long. NC State, I feel like they let them hang around a little bit too long. They need to, If they're going to put Syracuse away, it's going to have to be in the first two and a half quarters when they put them away, 30 to 10 kind of score, 
and, and really not give Syracuse any time to hang around. Because the longer you do that with a team that's considered an underdog, the more confidence they get, especially when you're, you know, on the flip side, your crowd is a little bit quiet because you haven't done anything in a couple of drives. Then the air is kind of taken out of the stadium because you're not, you know, playing up to your ability. I got Clemson winning and covering because I just think that they do, that they'll be able to stop what Syracuse does best, and that's running the football with that front four at Clemson. All right, let's go over to number uh, seven, Ole Miss on the road against LSU. Uh, the line on this is LSU by a point and a half. We've got Ole Miss, though, by about two and a half. Uh, the total is 58 and a half. We're a little bit higher than that, but about in line. Uh, Nick, Ole Miss versus LSU. I mean, I don't even know what to think of this game. LSU is a team that could come out of here and thump anybody, I feel like, and then just get also beat by a non-conference opponent. Like, I just don't know what to expect from LSU on a week-to-week basis. So Ole Miss has not been very impressive. They're hit or miss, you know. Um, I, I think they're probably more consistent than LSU, but I just I don't know that they have the ceiling that LSU has, which I think is why, plus being at home, LSU is favored in this game. How do you see this one playing out? Do you like where our numbers are at? Or do you like where the line is at better with LSU being slightly favored? So I'm a little bit nervous that this seems to be moving away from us. Uh, Ole Miss, I believe, was uh, when this was first posted, uh, was a favorite, was like a one-point favorite. Then it moved to LSU, uh, one and a half when we released it on Patreon earlier today. Um and since I believe it's actually gone up to two, two and a half in, in some places. So uh, certainly don't like to be in a position where our projection is, uh, you know, on, a, on a, the other side and it keeps moving farther and farther uh, away from us. Uh, that said, I, I, I think I have a slightly different opinion on Ole Miss. LSU, I agree with you. Uh, this time last week, we were talking about, you know, their game against Florida. I didn't feel super comfortable, uh, that we were on LSU to, uh, cover on the road. Um, not only did they cover, they won outright, uh, played a good game, you know, solid. And, and finally saw Keishon Butte get involved, which, which was good to see. Um, but I still, there's part of me that, doesn't really trust LSU right now. There, there's just you know, Jaden Daniels is limited in the passing game. Um, their receiver depth has has taken a hit uh, until last week. You know, hadn't seen Butte go. Can we now get uh, two good weeks in a row out of him? Can we see some consistency through the air? Um, they are rotating running backs, which you know is, is certainly understandable. But the guy that sort of became the you know, one that they were leaning on late last week, Josh Williams uh, is a, you know, former walk-on basically, you know, really low rated guy coming out of high school. And, and I, I do acknowledge I've got a bit of a bias, I guess, you know, against that. I spend so much time looking at these numbers uh, and it jumps out at me when, when a guy like that uh, is so low rated the way we calculate things, obviously he's got the, you know, the, the trust of the coaching staff and has been able to, to get the job done uh, to where they were able to lean on him instead of guys like John Emery and Noah Kane, who were, you know, 
five-star and high four-star guys coming out of high school. Um, but it just, for me, it sits a little different. Like, well, you know, LSU's just not really uh, able to to get the most out of their most talented guys. And, and they've had some issues on the offensive line. They've had guys out, you know, one week or the other. Um, they've had guys playing hurt um, on the defensive side of the ball in the secondary you know, they were completely rebuilding, had brought in so many transfers uh, coming in to where it, it looked good in our, you know, position strength ratings, but uh, was a very shaky group early on in the season. Still, they ranked 45th in, in passing uh, defensive team performance. They've struggled, you know, even more against the run at, at uh, 60th. Um, and they haven't, you know, really been at, at full strength health wise uh, you know, at all, really, certainly in the secondary, but on the defense as a whole. Ole Miss ranks number two offensively in rushing offensive team performance. Uh, so that matchup is is certainly in Ole Miss's favor. Uh, they are top five in offensive team performance overall, top 40 passing. Uh, they actually have been, uh, you know, one of the the – most consistent teams, at least when we're looking at our, our team performance ratings, um, the the underlying statistics really, really like Ole Miss. I mean, they rank sixth in overall team performance. Uh, a lot of the stats are, are, you know, pretty solid top 15 across the board, you know, 14th in net yards per play, 13th in both net yards per pass attempt and uh, net success. They're 11th in PPA margin. They're sixth in net points per drive, which might be my favorite. Um, you know, just, just if I could have one stat to look at that, that might be the one and they're playing at an elite level there. Um, Ole Miss is, is really, really talented. They've got uh Playmakers that they've been able to bring in, you know, through the transfer portal, but also recruiting as well. Quinshawn Judkins is is maybe the best freshman running back in the country right now. Mm, uh, Jaden, I mean, I, Jay had one big game against a horrible Arizona defense. Uh, Judkins has been consistent, you know, week after week after week, and he's at least production wise outplaying Zach Evans. It's just uh, crazy to me too that uh, just one one more thing on Ott, just because I'm I'm a little enamored. Uh, looking at uh, like PFF grades, it's funny because he's like the number one back, uh, but or you know maybe not number one. He's very high. I think he might be the number one freshman grade back. But then the offensive line of Cal ranks like 126 in run blocking. And I'm like, yeah. good lord, every yard that Ott gets has to be all by himself. But you know, Judkins obviously awesome too. Uh, so I, I just I just wanted to throw that out for my guy Ott. So. Oh, sure. I mean, I like and, and that one game was great. I mean, against UC Davis. Yeah, 104 yards against UC Davis, 274 yards against Arizona, uh, 200 yards in the other four games. So, I mean, yeah. we'll see. But sure. you know, just production-wise, I mean, I've Absolutely. just been incredibly impressed with with Judkins uh, and the fact that he's, you know, sharing with one of the highest-rated right. uh, you know, NFL draft running way back. more to overcome for him uh, to for get sure. that job. And, and, yeah. and, you know, Ole Miss has just been really, really good. The offensive line has played really well. Fifth and O-line performance so far this year. Uh, defensively, they've come, you know, they, they've come a long way over the last few years. They were 123rd in defensive team performance in 2020 then 72nd last year. They're currently 25th. Um, so, I mean, 
the the again the underlying statistics, which all those uh, statistics I mentioned before on the d- defensive side of things, they're thirty first or better uh, in each of those. Not top twenty in any, but consistently, you know, right around that twenty five or, or thirty mark. So they they've been fairly consistent. They haven't always been, uh, especially the last three weeks, dominant. Uh, last four weeks, really, going back to that that Tulsa game. Um, but I don't know. I, I think right now I trust Ole Miss a little bit more. Um, it does make me nervous that, you know, the the numbers running away from us a little bit. Somebody knows something that, that we don't know or, or, you know, the fact that, you know, LSU at a, a late day, you know, maybe this is a different scenario than the the Tennessee game. Maybe the Tennessee game wasn't as bad as it initially looked based on last week. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I do know Ole Miss has had some injuries in the uh, receiving core that's going to limit them a little bit. Michael Trigg, one of my favorite tight ends in the country, uh, is going to be out for the year with a broken collarbone. Jalen Robinson's been in and out and, and mostly out uh, so far this year. So, you know, they're, they're certainly lacking some depth there. Uh, but I, I kind of like Ole Miss at, at this point. And uh, we do project them to win outright. You know, I, I guess as a, a two and a half point favorite for one and a half, uh, you know, there's not there's not many other options. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it should be a, a tight game. Uh, well contested. Our total is actually a good bit under. This is one of the bigger um, edges. And I me- I do have to apologize to you. I messed up the sheet on, on that. Uh, but uh, it's it's yeah, should be should be a good game and, and certainly a tough test for uh, an undefeated undefeated Ole Miss team uh, that's got a pretty brutal you know, final five games after such an impressive start. So uh, if they can get past this one, they're, they're, you know, certainly still in the mix uh, lurking sort of in the sec title race that, that got a little more interesting last week. Um, Xavier, we know LSU is a constant. Uh, they make constant appearances on fraud watch, right? Um, yeah, their address might as well be fraud, fraud watch lane here. Ole Miss though, you know, Nick, Nick laid it out. The stats are great. I don't know that they have like a signature win though. No, so, they do. Yeah. So that's why I'm kind of lukewarm on them. Like the numbers are good. Uh, but I mean, you know, was it Troy? You know, they smoked Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech's bad. Uh, so I just, um, I, don't, I don't know. They just haven't put a real cherry on top of anything here. So I, I mean, I could easily see them winning. I just think both these teams are inconsistent. Obviously, the numbers not working in favor of LSU. Uh, but what do you think here? I mean, both teams are on fraud watch for me pretty consistently. I just feel like LSU is on the street and Ole Miss is the kid throwing the, the newspaper when he comes through. Um, so both of them are on the street. You just don't know where the new, the, the kid throwing the newspaper lives uh, just yet. But, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 that's that's how I would say it. I think Ole Miss right now has not had a signature win. That concerns me a lot. Um, I, I think that ultimately my biggest problem with them is their quarterback play. And I've said that week in and week out. I don't care how good they look in the run game. Jackson Dart is not a good QB. He just has not proven to me that I have any reason to feel like this kid can win them anymore. They can win them an SEC title or can win them a national championship. And right now with them being a top 10 team, that is what their aspirations have to be at this point. They're 7-0. 
You know, they haven't not only have they not won any signature games, but even in the games that they've won impressively, they're fit, they're very few. Like, and the teams that they beat, you're like, okay. Like they beat Troy by 18, cool. They beat the breaks off of Georgia Tech and Vanderbilt. Shocking. Like they, they gave up almost a 40 spot to Auburn last week and Auburn an Auburn offense that didn't have a passing touchdown. So you're like, how'd that happen? So I just feel like over the next three weeks in particular, we'll learn a extreme amount about what Mississippi actually is. They have to go to LSU, they have to go to AM, and then they get Alabama at home. Not to mention they also play Arkansas and Mississippi State to end the year. So throughout the next five games, we'll learn everything we need to know, obviously. But this game in, the, in particular this week is, is important to me because what they struggled so much against Auburn was to, you know, keep Robbie Ashford contained. If they don't do that with Jaden Daniels, he can beat them not only with his legs, but with his arm as well. I think him, I think him and Keishon Bouti are finally on the same page. Obviously, him and neighbors have been on the same page since pretty much week one. And this is not a game that you take quietly at all. On top of that, going to LSU is not an easy contest for anybody, um, especially a top 10 ranked opponent whose quarterback has not played a real SEC opponent on the road yet. He hasn't. Jackson Dart's biggest game so far this year was against Kentucky at home. And in my opinion, he was okay. That's pretty much it. 15 to 29, 213 and a touchdown. Now he's going into a hostile environment against a fan base that is kind of flipped the script on Brian Kelly a little bit um, after their losses to LSU and after the loss to Tennessee. Even my dad, who's a diehard LSU fan, was like, I'm not watching another game. I have no reason to watch these. <laughs> uh, you know, they beat Florida last week. They put up a ton of points in that game. And he, he, was, he was like, okay, maybe Kelly got something cooking. I think that they're going to be energized and, and reinvigorated to show that the, that the LSU that they saw, you know, two weeks ago uh, what against Tennessee was just, you know, you know, uh, a misstep. And this week, they will play a ton better. I'm not surprised that they're favored whatsoever. Um, and the biggest thing is, who's going to stop who's running game first? Simple as that. If, if Ole Miss cannot run the football, there's no way Jackson Dart leads into a victory. I will stamp that. And if he proves me wrong, then fine. But I will 100% say that there's no way that Jackson Dart is the sole reason as to why they win this ballgame going into this week, and their passing game in particular. They're going to have to run the football effectively to be in this ball game and to win this game. Uh, I think they're going to play a lot of possession because I think uh, if LSU's really turned the corner at the receiver position, you saw last week they scored quickly and they scored in bunches. You know, and I'm not saying Florida is an amazing defense, but Florida's put some, you know, has put some quarterbacks on notice with that pass rush. And Jaden Daniels, for the most part, was able to sling the football around like he wanted to. Um, and they did down the road, which is always impressive for LSU to go to Florida and win on the, and went on the road. So give me. Ole Miss, and I hate to say that, I just don't think that LSU is going to be the fraud watch, is going to be the game that they lose. But once again, like I said, LSU's on fraud watch street, had a home there for a while, and this new kid is throwing around newspapers. We don't necessarily know where he's from, but he's always in the neighborhood somehow. We haven't asked him where his parents live just yet. I think we might find out on the weekend. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's just Jackson Dart that I don't like really in his. And you play. have no that right to be. like him. Like, yeah, his season numbers have been, you know, people like to say, "Oh, he's a game manager." I can't even give him that because when you manage a game, you're supposed to take care of the football. He doesn't even have a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. So, what? what I know. mean, but yeah, come to your head. Who do you want? Do you want Daniels or do you want Dart? I think I'd rather take Dart. Give me Daniels. He runs faster. I guess at this point, yeah, I'm, all I'm, he does I'm, is run. 
Uh, Dart has thrown for what fourteen hundred yards in seven weeks. Keep winning on Judkins and Evans. I don't know. This game sucks. Uh, You know, like it's it's a it's (laughs) it's a fun game to watch, but to pick it's hard. You know, Uh, and I think it's because both neither QB is trustable. I think that's Raven Daniels has only thrown one interception all season. Give me Daniels. How many touchdowns? Ten. Ten. What's the uh, what's touchdown to picks on? Dart, 11 uh, touchdowns, six interceptions. Okay, but I used the same logic for James Madison, Georgia Southern uh, in my article last week, and that did not work out at all. That, so. was, that was Georgia Southern. Don't I understand. Yeah, you know, yeah. eh, they, they were coming off of a loss to a rival. They needed some get back. What better way to beat a ranked team? I didn't right, they weren't go. a rival. Yeah, that's true. That's what people were saying online. I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> what a surprise. They have weird opinions online, right? Um <laughs> Pack 12, number nine, UCLA on the road against uh, number 10, Oregon. Oregon is a six-point home favorite here. Uh, we have it closer to a coin flip, a couple point and a half-ish in Oregon's favor. Uh, 66 and a half is the total. We are uh, back to unders. We are under this one. Um, so, Nick, uh, Pack 12 matchup should be a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. I, I see. I think I like both these teams. This is the opposite of the last game where I could see either one of these teams winning because I like both of them. So uh, how do you see this one playing out? Well, you know, we've talked about UCLA a bit. uh, Seems like maybe every other week. um, And we've been consistently high on UCLA. Um, They have so far pulled up their into the bargain and, and, you know, we, we have uh, had them to win outright against, uh, excuse me, against Utah. They were able to take care of business there. Uh, they beat Washington the the previous week, uh, which again, we had them to, to win outright. They were an underdog there. So uh, it's, it's worked out. Um, however, as I was sort of, you know, looking a little on our, our uh, UCLA team profile, this shouldn't have been a new revelation because Dorian Thompson Robinson has been a max rated quarterback for a little while now. Zach Charbonnet has been a max rated running back for a little while now. Um, There's limited growth with UCLA. I mean, they've been a top 10 team uh, for a few weeks now. I mean, I think they were 10th that Washington week um, had two big wins in an off week uh, where some people ahead of them lost um, and you know, didn't play well, which wins and losses don't don't factor in at all in our, our power ratings. But um, you know, UCLA has played consistently very well. I mean, they're top five in net yards per play. Uh, they're seventh in both net points per drive and net yards per pass attempt. They're top twenty in both net success rate and PPA margin. Uh, you know, offensively, they are a top ten unit across the board and in. in those statistics in uh, team performance, they're number seven. Uh, defensively, they, you know, Xavier mentioned uh, his thoughts on, on the UCLA defense earlier. Our <laughs> numbers show that they're, you know, more middle of the pack, not not a terrible defense, but they're 59th in uh, defensive team performance, uh, right around, you know, the 40s in, in uh, both against the pass and against the run. They, they have made some plays. They can rush the passer. I mean, the Atu Atu is is uh, having a huge, huge year. Grayson Murphy 
uh, has been playing really well. Both of those guys are, you know, first year transfers have had a major impact. Stephen Blaylock's played well this year on the back end. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're to this point, they've lived up to, to our expectations. They're starting to, to rise a little bit in, uh, the polls, but they are a team that I think the, the, you know, college football ecosystem as a whole doesn't trust. Um, that's why they were, you know, underdogs the last couple of games. They they have a track record of not quite living up uh, to expectations or playing below their talent profile. Uh, so far this year hasn't been an issue, but another tough game. This one on the road at Oregon, which Oregon after that, you know, Georgia loss where they were just uh, completely outclassed. Uh, they have been one of the best teams in college football. Um, and so it's understandable. Uh, Oregon right now has, has climbed up back into uh, the top 15. They're 11th in our power rankings. Offensively, they are second. And that's after doing basically nothing against Georgia. Uh, they have played incredibly, incredibly well since. But defensively, Oregon grades out, at least as far as our team performance numbers go, and a lot of the, the stats that we look at really closely, much, much worse uh, than UCLA. Part of that is, you know, the Georgia loss. They, they haven't quite been able to shake that off. Um, but still, you know, they, they just haven't been as good on that side of the football. They're 81st in overall defensive team performance. They're 93rd against the pass. Um, some of the numbers, I mean, they're close to triple digits, 97th in yards per play allowed 98th in points per drive, 95th in PPA per play. Their best of those top five stats is 80th in yards per pass attempt. So, you know, I do think that that UCLA offense, Thompson Robinson, who, you know, really, uh, I mean, he's playing like a fifth year starter, right? I mean, that's something we really haven't seen in college football before, uh, or, or at least very often. And, and he has taken that next step. Uh, Charbonnet is looking like, you know, he's still got a little bit of a uh, an NFL future for sure. He's, he's playing very, very well. You know, Jake Bobo has stepped up, one of those transfers who's making an impact. So, you know, I, I do think that UCLA is going to be able to score with Oregon. It's just whether or not, uh, one, they're going to be able to rush the passer as well. I mean, I, I mentioned that that guys like Latu and Murphy have had some success, you know, getting to the quarterback, pressuring the quarterback, but actually that UCLA defensive line uh, does not grade out well at all in our D-line performance. They're actually triple digits, 106th. Uh, so that's certainly something to watch. That's a matchup that's going to be um, you know, very much potentially in Oregon's favor because Oregon has a top five offensive line in, in our O-line performance, and they're actually talent-wise – uh, knocking on the door of the top five as well. So, you know, that's a big, big time advantage to Oregon. If they're able to win the line of scrimmage, um, then, you know, I, I do like Oregon to win this game and probably by a touchdown or more. Um, but so far, UCLA has has played sort of to our expectations uh, and we expect them to, you know, keep this closer to a field goal to be, you know, kind of that last second uh loss or you know very very close hard fought loss and all three models are, are in that field goal range more so than that you know six or, or closer to a touchdown like the odds makers have this is um 
another one where we are, uh, like you mentioned, on on the the low end of things um, as far as the the total goes, and you know that that makes me a little bit nervous because we are quite a bit lower. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know. I don't I don't personally have a great read on it. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to you know talk myself in and out. I'm trying to I think talk myself into UCLA being able to to keep it up. Um, but Oregon is is right now playing like one of the best teams in the country. They're going to have you know a home field advantage. Um, they negate UCLA's extra week to prepare with their own week to prepare. Uh, so there are certainly you know some signs pointing to Oregon being able to take care of business here. Uh, it's just the fact that you know so far we've we've had a pretty decent read as far as our projections go on UCLA. I'm hopeful that'll you know keep up. Um, but there, there certainly are, uh, some factors that, that, you know, tilt toward Oregon and, and make me kind of wish that, that we were a little, uh, closer to the odds makers on this one. Xavier, do you have a, a strong lean one way or the other in UCLA, Oregon here? Whichever one decides to play defense. That is where my lean lies. I genuinely think that if UCLA decides to play defense in this game, they'll win. You know, what separated them in the game against Utah was... Very upset about uh, defense this week. Oh, it's disgusting. It was awful. (laughs) At at times, I was like, I was just pulling my own hair out. I was so upset about some of the I agree. I was seeing. Uh, But honestly, in this game, it it really is about who decides to play defense. What separated UCLA when they beat Utah earlier in the year was a couple of defensive stops in the first half. Uh, And and they were able to get the cam rising and make him uncomfortable for, you know, large parts of that first half. But in that time period, they were able to pull away. Utah then mounted a little bit of a comeback in the second half, but it was too late. I think that's going to be what UCLA has to do again this week against Oregon. They're going to have to make Bo Nix uncomfortable, going to have to turn him into somewhat of a runner. And then if they're able to do that and pull away because their offense has been just that potent, then by all means, they can win this ballgame. Oregon has to do a a better job keeping an athletic quarterback within the pocket. They struggled uh, They struggled uh, against uh, Cam Rising doing this a little bit um, when they lost, when they beat Washington State a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they just struggled to keep him in the pocket. Um, and what, you know, was, has made Dorian Thompson-Robinson so good this year has not only been his use of legs. He's always been able to do that. He's always been so much of a runner. But it's using his legs to pass this year that I think he's honestly taken the next step in doing in his maturation as a quarterback is being able to use his legs, but to do so to find receivers downfield and make those big chunk plays. They gave a lot of those up to Cam Ward in the Washington State matchup earlier this year, even though they were able to pretty much shut down the run entirely in that ball game. He was able to use his legs to open up the passing game. Um, so I'm expecting uh, UCLA to do a lot of that. I'm expecting to have Chip Kelly uh, put DTR on the move um, and make sure that he's not just sitting there. Same thing goes for Oregon. What they've done great since then is their defense has just gotten increasingly better week by week. You know, they gave up 41 to Washington State, then they gave up 27 to Stanford. Then last week, they gave up 22 to Arizona. Now, I understand the quality of team has probably gotten worse over that time as well. But what they've done a lot of it is they've just caused a ton of turnovers. Uh, they've been extremely opportunistic defensively. And if they can keep that up against a guy, in my opinion, DTR is a bit of a confidence quarterback. When he's got it rolling, he's great. When he doesn't have it rolling, though, things can slide. And we've seen in the previous seasons, uh, most notably the game against UCLA, I think it was two years ago. Uh, you know, UCLA is dominating that game for all intents and purposes. USC comes back and wins that ball game. So I, I think that um, the biggest thing for them going into this game is keeping DTR 
uncomfortable. And if they can get an early interception, if they can get an early turnover, and you'll start to see it. His demeanor is he, he you can read his demeanor on his face every single play, whether he's confident and feeling good or whether he's having a really rough outing and just needs to shake it. You know, he's the, he's the kind of guy that after every play shakes his head or slaps his hands together. He tells you how he's feeling on the field. If Oregon can get, you know, can can shake his confidence a bit, they have a really good chance of winning this game. And, you know, I, I think both quarterbacks right now are playing very confidently. Bo Nix is a scary quarterback when he's confident. Uh, DTR is a very scary quarterback when confident. But going to Austin in a big game like this, I think is a very underrated aspect of this game. People do not talk about Austin enough as the kind of, you know, uh, hub that it is for football, but it's a raucous atmosphere. It's crazy. Like going to everybody that I've talked to and being able to experience it myself, going to Austin is a horrible place to go have to play in the Pac-12. It's not easy. The crowd is loud. It's extremely, you know, uh, pressure packed in that stadium. And DTR has not had to play a big game on the road yet. You got to play Utah at home. You got to play Washington at home. Does it him? Does him going on the road change a few things? Him having to go to a silent count change a few things about how potent this offense could be. That's why I'm going to go with Oregon this week. I think that they are playing at a confidence level that's really under the radar because of how bad they lost to Georgia, but doesn't really tell the full story of how they've played this year. I think they just got beat, they just got you know met by a buzzsaw and they weren't prepared for that ball game. I think since then. They've got they've you know righted the ship a little bit or a lot of it um, you know going five and zero since then and this game is, is an opportunity for them to put themselves back on the map as a Pac-12 contender uh, which is where they rightfully should you know should still be thought of because the one loss was out of conference uh, they're still undefeated in the Pac-12 I just don't think UCLA's defense is ready for this I also think that you know you, you'll see possibly UCLA's offense you know uh, stumble out of the blocks having to play on the road for the first time a ton of transfers having to get together in a silent count out atmosphere, not always pans out too great. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with Oregon to win this game. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah that's for sure. I don't think there'll uh, be any defense in this game either, by the way, I think it might be. Yeah. A- <laughs> uh, how about maybe we'll get some defense. Um, I mean, maybe not, but maybe <laughs> we'll get some defense from uh, Bama this week. Uh, number six yeah. Bama now uh, on uh, at home hosting number 24. Uh, Mississippi State. The line in this game is Alabama by 21. We don't have it by quite that much, but we do have them favored by more than 15 points. Uh, 61 and a half is total. We're a little bit under that, but close, much closer to that. Um, Nick, what do you think? Uh, Bama usually doesn't trip up two weeks in a row. Um, I don't know. I I love to see Mike Leach get slaughtered, so that's what I'm kind (laughs) of hoping for. So, how do you see this game playing out? Well, I, I was thinking to myself, well, first of all, I, I should say that that I mentioned earlier, I screwed up the, the columns for our, our over-unders that, that uh, we refer to here. Uh, so if we uh, said the wrong thing earlier with uh, Clemson, that was 51 and a half, we're slightly under. LSU and Ole Miss, 66 and a half, we're a good bit under that, we're at 57. Uh, Oregon and, and uh, UCLA, 70 and a half, we're at 69 and a half, so a little under that. Uh, this one, you know, as you mentioned, is is uh, just under that 61 and a half, but very close. Um, but this looked like, to me, uh, had Alabama beat Tennessee, this would have been, I thought, kind of a, a little bit of a trap game. Um, it is at home, but 
uh, Mississippi State is actually um, Alabama's uh, geographical closest rival. So this is actually a game that's within 100 miles of, of uh, uh, Starkville. It, it's I did a study a couple of years ago on uh, like the, the previous five or six years of games where, you know, a, a rival, a team that plays every year um, is less than 100 miles from from home. Theoretically, you know, you can bus in and, and uh, keep pretty close to your normal uh, home game day routine. Uh, teams do really, really well in those road games, uh, cover at a, a far uh, higher clip than, you know, a, a traditional road team would. This fits that scenario. And Mississippi State is one of those teams that's just really tough to beat. Um, had Alabama, like I said, won, and, you know, it probably would have helped if, if Mississippi State hadn't lost last week. Uh, but this would have been one that, that I thought, hey, you know, Maybe Mississippi State's the team that can jump up and, and kind of bite Alabama when we least expect it. Traditionally, in years past, when Alabama loses, you know, a regular season game, uh, they respond quite well. Um, I mean, how many of, of Nick Saban's uh, national championship teams lost in the, the regular season? I think maybe all but one, maybe two. Um, and, and so it's it's not – terribly uncommon uh but usually those teams kind of use that as a little bit of a rallying uh moment and play much much better um so you know alabama looked beatable at different points in the year they certainly you know were beatable last week against tennessee are they now sort of a wounded uh team that somebody like a mississippi state or looking you know down the line, road trips to LSU will miss. Will they lose that second regular season game, or are they going to turn it on and and you know take their level of play up to that? Uh, you know, a lot of people thought coming into this year, this might be Nick Saban's best Alabama team. I mean, with Bryce Young back, with Will Anderson back, uh, defensively, even though it didn't you know perform well at all last week, uh, you know, talent wise, maybe the most talented. Alabama defense we've seen in a decade or so. I mean, will we see that team or we will we see the team that couldn't stop Tennessee and, and you know, has looked beatable uh, a couple of weeks in a row now, uh, you know, three times this year at, at least. So I I don't know. We're, we're in a somewhat familiar position now where our projection, you know, has Alabama as a big favorite, but not quite big enough. Uh, we have 16 and a half as our official projection. Um, it's 15 and a half in the talent edge, 17 and a half in the prism. That's certainly, you know, short of the 21 and all three. That's been where we are most every week. Uh, and a lot of the times Alabama kind of is able to, um, you know, uh, what, 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 pull away just in the, the third, fourth quarter, use their talent advantage and and just uh are able to kind of suffocate teams and and end up covering late on you know big pass play at, at the end or you know jamar gibbs maybe you know break off a 60 70 yard run something like that uh to to you know be able to cover a, a relatively big number this seems like the spot based on 
how last week played out based on sort of where our projections lie in a lot of the situations where that seems kind of like my personal expectation. Um, but I'm really curious to see if this Mississippi, uh, excuse me, Mississippi state team that I'm, you know, pretty high on and our numbers still have as a, uh, a team that ranks 16th in our power rankings, they're playing like a top 25 team in overall team performance. They're not elite on either side of the ball, 34th in offensive team performance, 41st in defensive team performance. Uh, but they've got a quarterback who runs the system really, really well. Is capable of putting up big numbers. A defense, Emmanuel Forbes might be, uh, you know, might be on on your short list for the Thorpe Award, having a huge, huge year at corner. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, part of me just really thinks that maybe last week was that Alabama wake up call, where now, all right. They're just going to, you know, everything is is now uh, going to click. They're going to play like that elite, maybe best, most talented uh, Saban Alabama team. That's kind of what I'm personally leaning toward. Uh, but so far this year, we haven't really seen that team. And it's it's starting to, to make me think, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this is the year that actually uh, they are. Uh, going to have a, a couple of regular season losses. So we'll see. Xavier, what do you think? Do you have, um, you know, obviously Alabama incredibly disappointing last week. Do you expect them to swing back the other way and beat down Mississippi State, or is this an actual real challenge for them? Beat the brakes off of Mississippi State. This is, <laughs> is going to be a pissed-off animal. You <laughs> wanted the pissed-off Nick Saban waltzing into town against a team that can't run the football, so they can barely help. They can barely control possession. Uh, not only themselves, they're a wounded animal right now, coming off of a pretty bad loss against a Kentucky team. I just thought they would fight out better than uh, before going into that game. Um, and I think Alabama saw what Kentucky did. They they did exactly what I thought they'd do. They went in there, they ran the football, they controlled time of possession, and they out physical Mississippi State. They made Mississippi State have to score on every single drive. Um, they made Will, Will Rogers have to be perfect, and that's what you do against Mississippi State. The, the, their offense, when it's clicking, it looks great. But when you're able to constrict it a little bit and make it a little bit, you know, make it a tighter contest, their offense feels, you know, a, a lot more susceptible to mistakes. Will Rogers was a little bit off of his game. Only 203 yards on 37 pass attempts. Only, you know, a touchdown and an interception. They only ran the ball for, I think, about 30 yards total. Um, you know, when you look at Kentucky's time of possession, they have 40 minutes of possession to uh, Ole Miss, uh, sorry, to Mississippi State's 20. They did everything right in that game to make sure that they came out of there with a victory, and it was at home. Uh, Mississippi State now has to, you know, I guess, quote unquote, lick their wounds and go to Tuscaloosa, like in a night game, you know, with the with every game. And here's the really the scary part, and it's really not for that uh, Alabama is better after a loss. It's just that Bama now knows that their next loss is their season's over in the, in the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, right? You know, if Bama loses another game, you can, you can tell the SEC title is gone and more than likely their national championship hosts are out the window as well. That's why they play so freaking well after a loss, because now they know that their hair has to be on fire every single time they go out there and play. Sorry, Mississippi State, but you're walking into a buzzsaw that's going to be pissed off. I mean, you saw Nick Saban last week. I think he lost more hair in that game than he's lost in the last four seasons. That, <laughs> he was pissed. I haven't seen Saban that pissed since the kick six game. It's been a long time since Saban, since he's needed a new headset midway through a contest. 
Um, and, and so I think that you're really looking at a matchup where Mississippi State's just walking into their death. Um, and it's okay. We don't fully expect you to, to come out of Tuscaloosa with a win. Unfortunately for them, they still have, you know, uh, unfortunately for them, they still have Georgia, Auburn, and Ole Miss on their schedule after this. So it doesn't get all that easy if you're a Mississippi State Bulldog fan. Let's go over to a couple of Big 12 games. I'm just going to throw them in here uh, together, Nick, and you tell me uh, about them. TCU, number eight, hosting number 17, Kansas State. The line on that game is TCU by three and a half. We have them by a little bit more than that. 58 and a half is the total. We're a little bit over that as well. Then uh, my number 20, Texas Longhorns, go on the road against number 11, Oklahoma State. Uh, Texas is somehow a six and a half point favorite in this game. Uh, you got them by uh, more than that, about a, a little over a touchdown. 64 and a half is um, the total, uh, a little bit less than that by like one point. So um, two big, big 12 ranked on rank match matchups, which I did not expect to come uh, at any point this season in, in uh, the same week here. But um, this is, these are two enormous games. Do you have a, big edge one way or the other that you feel like uh, in either one? Well, we, we have a much smaller edge in one than we would have, you know, 24 hours ago when, when uh, the Texas at Oklahoma state game opened, I believe Texas was just a one point favorite and this thing is shot up to uh, six and a half. And uh, we were, you know, right around seven, basically the whole time. And, and so we do still have Texas, to cover, um, but certainly lost a lot of value uh, just based on you know the timing of, of when we sort of set these in stone. Um, one thing that you know I noticed in our, our horrible, uh, no good, very bad week uh, with totals was you know we were on so many overs and the handful of unders we were on didn't necessarily perform well because, you know, with whatever sort of wonkiness happened with the numbers, um, if we weren't over, you know, there was, there was like a reason why why that wasn't correct. I don't know. I'm not explaining it very well, but I, I have a, a little bit of a, you know, uh, a, a bad feeling about the favorites that we have covering uh, this week. You know, similarly, Texas on crazy. the road, Oklahoma State. Always been a little, you know, always been a, a difficult obstacle for Texas to get past. Um, I don't know, you know, if 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 we actually have Texas uh, favored here and we have very few other favorites uh, covering, maybe, you know, maybe there is a reason why why uh, we're we're wrong on this. I don't know, but Texas similar to last week, you know, does have a big talent edge close to double digits here. Uh, even on the road that is adjusted for home field advantage. Uh, so in a neutral field, you know, Texas talent wise uh, would be a double digit favorite over Oklahoma state who we've mentioned, you know, just, just the talent profile isn't quite the elite talent profile that Texas has been able to put together on the recruiting trail and in the uh, transfer portal. So I don't necessarily feel great about it. Um, but, Texas, yeah, has been a very, very good team. I know they've lost two games, uh, but they are sixth in our power rankings. Uh, they are a top five roster overall, top five on offense, top ten on defense. You know, statistically, 
playing really well. Team performance, they rank fifth overall. They're 12th on offense, 14th on defense, which I think is a little bit of a surprise. Um, but they've been a very, very solid team. Oklahoma State has been floating, you know, right around the 30s. Our, our power rankings, not nearly what the pollsters have had team performance wise. They play like a, you know, top 35 team. Uh, previous weeks, they've actually, you know, had closer games here recently and lost last week, but they've actually moved up a little bit in team performance. Um, and, you know, offensively, they're, they're, barely in the top 50 uh, in team performance. Defensively, they're 55th, including 91st against the pass. Quinn Ewers and, and you know, Xavier Worthy are, are uh, that that doesn't necessarily, I think, bode very well for, for Oklahoma State if that's the area where they've struggled a little bit uh, defensively. So I, I think this is a, a game that Texas should win, but this is a spot that, is is difficult. Oklahoma State does play Texas very well traditionally, uh, and they, so far this year, have been able to win even when they've been, uh, you know, at a talent disadvantage or, or maybe don't necessarily play as well in the underlying numbers as well. For TCU, we've been pretty high on TCU, and they've come through for us. They're up to number twelve in our power rankings. Uh, offensively, they've been in the top 10 basically since week one. Uh, they are continuing to run the football really, really well. Number one in rushing offensive team performance, which is a surprise, a surprise to me. They're top 10 in passing uh, team performance now with Max Duggan and Quentin Johnston have been uh, a great combo in back-to-back -back weeks. I've really, really been uh, happy to see Johnston uh, explode recently. Um, also nice to see Duggan bounce back. TCU defensively, you know, mediocre, uh, I think is fair. 60th overall in, in team performance. They've struggled against the pass. Kansas State, will they be able to take advantage of that? I'm I'm not sure. Uh, TCU is, you know, does struggle a little bit against the run, or at least they're not dominant. They're right around, you know, 50 in defensive team performance rushing-wise. But K-State has, has leaned pretty heavy on the running game, their ninth and overall team performance, or excuse me, and, and rushing team performance. Adrian Martinez has, has been uh, good on the ground, has run that offense really well. Deuce Vaughn got a little banged up a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm I haven't knocked Kansas State at all. Uh, you know, not expecting him to play or, or you know really treating him as questionable, but I am curious to see how healthy he is. Um, but you know, K-State has struggled throwing the football. They're 113th in uh, uh, passing offensive team performance, um, but they're solid top 20 defense, and they traditionally play at a pretty slow pace, which I think is going to help, you know, kind of limit those TCU possessions, maybe uh, mix things up, make it so that, that they're not able to operate quite at that elite level that they've been so far this year. It's a, it's a tricky matchup. Um K-State has had the extra week to prepare. This game is in Fort Worth. Uh, I don't necessarily expect TCU to go through unscathed. I do think that they'll probably, you know, trip up at some point. And K-State is a team that can certainly trip uh, some people up. Uh, similarly to what I said about Texas, we have TCU covering, which is rare this week. I do feel better about it because TCU is at home, but, you know, I don't necessarily have a high level of confidence either. I, I do think that um, you know I could see a, a wide variety of outcomes in, in either of these games, including upsets in both cases. Uh, what do you think, Xavier? Two big 
Big 12 matchups and ranked teams. I mean, squads that are playing well this year. Is there, do you have a good lean on either one of them, or do you think they're just going to both be fun, close games to watch? I think they'll both be fun. Um, I think Kansas State can be a little bit better of a ball, you know, can, can control the football better than what TCU's maybe seen all year. Um, I think that's going to be maybe their one Achilles heel in this game is will TCU be able to do what they've been able to do offensively without the number of possessions that, they, that they've typically been getting. Uh, Kansas State obviously can run the football with both quarterback and running back, and they can control the line of scrimmage. And if they're able to do so, then TCU scares me a little bit in this matchup because they haven't been good defensively, but they've also just given up tons of chunk plays. And that's the thing that I think has scared me the most about them. Um, but Kansas State is one of those teams that will grind out a 14-play drive and have no problems with it. On the flip side, TCU is a team that typically is trying to score explosively. Um, when it comes to – I think the other one's going to be extremely fun. Um, my only concern hmm, – trying to figure, trying to get my words on this one – is will Spencer Sanders, understanding that he just lost such a massive game, have another letdown ball game? Um, I think they controlled that ball game. I think they gave it away. Obviously, TCU scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. And I think the Oklahoma State, for all intents and purposes, thought they were going to walk away with that one. And I think that with a loss, that's kind of that shocking. And you kind of saw it once it got to overtime, right? Oklahoma State did nothing in overtime, right? Offensively, I think they went backwards. Then they kicked the field goal, you know, and defensively, they gave up a touchdown almost right away. They were just out of it mentally. They gave up 21 points essentially between the fourth quarter and overtime pretty much with with relative ease for TCU, and they kind of just let themselves down. Now they've got Texas, which by name you're supposed to get up for, but I understand that Texas isn't necessarily by ranking a team that you necessarily get up for. But Oklahoma State still has to keep themselves up because at the end of the day, they still have an opportunity to compete for the Big 12 title if, if things bounce their way going forward. And this is a massive game because Texas is also a team that's going to be competing for the Big 12 title. They're big, they, you know, they've lost to Alabama as one of their losses, but that's out of conference. The whole season for them is still right in front of them as well, especially now with Quinn Ewers back at quarterback. Um, Spencer Sanders has to bounce back from, from what I thought was a pretty average performance, especially in the passing game. He did a ton in the running game, but passing-wise, he was pretty pedestrian. Um, I think he needs to bounce back in this game. There'll be no short of Oklahoma State fans there. I'm going to lean towards Oklahoma State, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, I think this is Quinn Ewer's first major road game of his Texas career. That sounds um, right. So I, yeah. I think that that may – I'm excited to see what he looks like in that game. He might be absolutely first, first true road game for sure because he was out at Texas. That's State. right. Yeah, That's so, right. you know, I, I, I'm not saying he'll lose at all or anything like that. I'm just extremely excited to see what he's able to do in his true first road test. Obviously, the Pokes will be out. Um, and you know, we, we know what that atmosphere can look like and how you know good it's looked on late, late games, uh, during bedroom. So, this is going to be another game that you know that he has to you know manage in his first year at Texas. But if he keeps it up, man, the the, the story of Quinn Ewer's first year is going to be crazy if he continues winning games at this kind of clip. Um, especially coming back from injury, the narrative writes itself if he's able to keep this thing rolling, um, against a, a good Oklahoma State team that I thought let lots of let themselves down last week. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a fun week eight. They're all fun. They're all every single week is great. Every single week brings us something insane and crazy uh, that we don't expect to see. Uh, Nick, are there any other games like is there anything not off the list that we uh, that we talked about that we didn't talk about that you're really looking forward to here? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, nervous <laughs> uh, because we are so lopsided on, on uh, excuse me, on underdogs. 
Um, do feel better about the totals, the prism projections. I, I do have a little bit more confidence in. I'm kind of excited to see what it does. Uh, last week, like I mentioned with Talon Edge, you know, when, when teams had an outright talent advantage as an underdog, performed incredibly well. I'm curious to see if, if that's going to work out for a team like Troy, a team like SMU, uh, Indiana, uh, Western Michigan, you know, Texas State's kind of an interesting one. Uh, South Carolina, even that one surprised me. But all of those teams, the way we calculate it, have an outright talent edge as an underdog. Will we see, you know, a, a similar level? Utah State and Wyoming being one of those as well. Uh, we've got more wrong teams favored than we have in any uh, week so far this year. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of those. Mm. Uh, which, hey, if we have a good week, it could. Put a put a dent in our uh, or, or you know help fill that that giant hole we've dug ourselves in wrong teams favored this year. Traditionally, that's been our very best thing um, against the spread and with outright you know upset win uh, projections. But this year has been horrible. So we'll see. You know, will Eastern Michigan help us out? Will Louisiana Tech, who we found out after the projections were released, lost their best defensive player probably for the majority of the year? Uh, Ole Miss, as we mentioned, Liberty, Georgia Southern, uh, Texas State, Pitt. All of those are like projections under a point. Uh, but, you know, as as a, a you know, field goal or so underdog in each case, we're on the we're on the other side. So we'll see. See how it works out. And uh, but mostly I'm just I'm a little bit nervous. Last week was uh, good for for some things, as we talked about. Not so good for the other, and, and I'm just kind of wondering, uh, will will our luck change, or you know these sort of kind of odd back to back projection weeks? Are we going to get punished two weeks in a row for being so heavy on on one side? Xavier, what do you think? What what is uh, what what are you looking forward to most in week eight that we didn't already cover? I, I think, well, but most importantly for me is can Kansas right the ship. You know, they, they started off extremely hot, um, and obviously they've lost two games back-to-back. Can they figure out a way to right the ship this week? Um, I've got a big game tomorrow. Georgia State heads up to App State. You know, that's a massive game in, in the lot in life of Georgia State at this point, you know, trying to climb back into relevancy in the, in the Sun Belt, which is a Sun Belt that at this point, after uh, JMU's loss, is kind of wide open. Um, and, and, and honestly, last but not least, it is really – can Illinois – can those teams, excuse me, continue winning games. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. I think everybody's a little bit surprised by some of what the top 25 had in store for us, not only just last week, but obviously this week. And, and it's can some of those teams kind of at the fringe in, in those high 20s that haven't won games that necessarily Xavier, you're, Xavier, you're trying to tell me you didn't expect Illinois, Kansas, and James Madison to be uh, in the top 25 at some point this season no. coming in? What about Minnesota? No, you no. didn't expect Minnesota to Minnesota, be in there? Minnesota, yes, but Minnesota was more so a team that I felt like was always contingent on whether or not they'd be healthy. Um, and their health has obviously not even been all that great this year as well. You know, so yes and no. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, you know, you've got some teams there between seven, between 16 and 25 that I didn't see coming into the year. Obviously, Illinois being the biggest one to go to Nebraska this week. Uh, Penn State plays Minnesota this week, so they're going to have to bounce back after losing, you know, they're, they're, they're not, no longer being unbeaten as well. Um, and then, you know, do you get a trap game here with Utah having to go at Washington State? 
you know, they just got off of a massive emotional win against USC. Um, they won a lot of, you know, they won that game, you know, very spiritedly. Obviously, you guys saw the helmet in which they wore. But, you know, do they does that end up becoming a letdown against Cam Ward and, the, and, the, and uh, you know, the Cougars up there in Pullman? All right. Look, it's going to be, like I said before, it's going to be another great week of college football. It always is, regardless of what I finish and what Texas finishes. It's always fun every single week. So remember, uh, good luck. And you can follow us all on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trist, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.